Russell, head football coach at Olive Branch High School, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, OB Pod. Evening, Cash. Evening, Zach. It is good to be here after kind of a rocky start, is it not? Man, just like this podcast, but yes, it does feel good to be here after a rocky start. The pitchforks and torches have been put away for another week, thankfully. Yes, uh, that was, uh, you know, it was an interesting beginning, but hey, luckily I don't think too many people noticed that it was uh, almost basically a train wreck for us. You know, maybe that's a little overstating it, but whatever. I feel like we were pulling some levers and switches and everything, going back and forth. If y'all could have seen our text message exchanges yelling at each other and kind of a smooth start, but hey, as all things, you expect a little bit of troubleshooting, so. We got it off. We're happy with it. We can't thank y'all enough for just listening and giving us some positive feedback. Oh, no doubt. Like almost unanimous positive feedback. Great numbers. Great, great comments, man. I loved all the emails. I loved all the social media exposure. Uh, this, uh, it just goes to show you the community is is ready for stuff like this. At least I think they are. I yeah. hope they are. As long as we keep <laughs> getting good content. But other than that, how was your week uh, personally? It was uh, pretty good. I'm not going to lie. The radio world came back a little bit. We had some advertising. Went down to our fellow co-producers, you know, Neck of the Woods down in Hernando with Malcolm Reed and had a nice little barbecue. His shop is fantastic. Some of the best beef jerky you'll ever had, but got to mingle with Under the Water Tower folks and they couldn't be better. Yeah, dude, those Derek and Matt just run a great thing, and it's just good to see that they're out there in their community too, and that's what we looked forward to doing to our gang. Tell you, my week, it was nothing like that. I no. was chasing my tail uh, between kids' soccer, work, school duties, and other things. So um, a lot of fun, it sounds like you had. Absolutely. Being the <laughs> family man that I am, yes. yes Do we have yes. any uh, soccer wins? Uh, yeah, believe it or not, um, my son scored just Uh-oh. last night. Uh, did a great job. Uh, you know, he's a defender, so when we got to a shootout, he got to score. So that, you know, that was a that was a chest puffy moment. Absolutely. And, uh, and my daughter plays for a great team, well coached uh, team. Um, it's a local guy here. Played soccer here in Olive Branch. He's just a fantastic guy. Really, really gets the kids involved. I really enjoy it. This is the Olive Branch uh, City Park League. We're over there off of Church Road, and those fields are amazing. It's they just are. an example where Olive Branch has. Does, is doing some things right and the kids are getting participate to have that little bit of normalcy and so really really enjoy that but shout out to my buddy chase who does a lot of work on those fields and everything yeah well bing and uh, <laughs> man you know, i'll tell you what i am excited about is this episode what we have lined up even after this episode i kind of got goosebumps i mean in this episode alone we're going to get to talk to three separate individuals yep um, and all of them are bringing something to the table that I, I, I've learned something I got, and I've made a new friend. We both have made new friends and it's just fantastic. I mean, the, the first interview we're going to have on here is Gil Earhart and he is the alderman for Ward 1. He was the first elected official to join the podcast and give us an interview and has been instrumental with information. As y'all know, in our annexation episode, he gave us a lot of that information and we could not thank him enough. As everybody in all the branch knows, the hot, the hot job now. I heard there's a new coach in town. Yeah, you beat me to the <laughs> punches the new coach at olive branch high school is jason russell he has been announced and he is already on campus working his magic and which i did not know at the time and we had i had an opportunity to sit down and have an interview with him and he gives us some details about his job and some of his background and the plans he has for the community and let me say i think they made a quality hire when you hear this interview, I think you're going to see the same thing and hear the same thing I did. Our segment three, we're pretty excited to announce that we have a new contributor to the podcast. Our local reporter, Bob Bakken, 
He works for DeSoto County News, and he's going to be joining us from time to time to letting us know the locals and ins and outs, as well as reporting on sports, and we couldn't be happier to have him. Speaking of new contributors, Michael Hatcher & Associates has several positions open right now. This is entry level all the way up to supervisor. I think they need hands, they need foremans, they need irrigation techs, even a landscape artist. If you're a person who wants to work in a local community at a fantastic company that cares about its employees, has a motto of hire for life, has great benefits, as well as even stock options, you need to consider Michael Hatcher & Associates. Their website is hatcherlandscape.com or you can call 662-755-3207. That is 662-755-3207 and speak to Gabby, who is their talent acquisition person, who could help you out today. Coming up next, we have Alderman Gil Earhart of Ward 1. Do you think you're paying too much for insurance or you're tired of not actually getting an agent when you call? I think it might be time to switch to the home team at Farm Bureau Insurance. Josh McIntyre is our local agent and supports our schools, our local businesses, community, and even takes care of all our insurance needs. That's home, life, and auto. Give him a call today, 662-893-5250, or visit him at his office at 6901 Cockrum Road, which is Highway 305. Guys and gals, today I have Gil Earhart. This is our alderman for Ward 1 and has been serving for a good while. And uh, he is joining us today to let us know uh, his take from his point of view. And we're very thankful to have him here today, Gil. Great. Thank you, Zach, for asking me to participate. And it's a good thing you've got going with OB Pod. I look forward to being a part of it. I really appreciate it. Now, the reason we contacted you uh, for this interview, first was, of course, to establish a, a relationship as a, as a new podcast for the community. And uh, I think the aldermen are some of the most important uh, elected officials of a community because they basically set the atmosphere and the goal and the vision for the community as elected officials. And so I, I just I really appreciate that. And what I'm hoping for is, and I know we're going into election season, that you can kind of provide us with a little bit of history and your motivation, vision, di- different things so that the listener can understand understand who their alderman is and uh, who they'll be voting for for re-election. So as always, I always say, you know, what, what has been your history here for Olive Branch? Well, you know, again, Zach, thanks for having me on and uh, just kind of give you a quick history on myself, I guess. My wife and I moved here in 1988 uh, from Texas. We're both Mississippians by trade, if you will, and I had been coaching high school football down in Texas uh, for five or six years and uh, as the course of events turned, uh, we went into the insurance and financial services industry, moved back home, and uh, made this our home since 1988, and uh, raised our two two boys here, Matt and Taylor. Uh, they're all grown and married and off doing their thing now. So uh, it's been a great community to, to be a part of and to go to church, uh, coach some little league ball, and, and watch it grow from, quite frankly, around 1,500 people when we moved here to pushing 40,000 now. So it's been uh, some uh, some exciting times to see that growth. I've been a lifelong DeSoto County resident ever since I got back from college. And uh, I grew up kind of in the Hernando area. And to see how Olive Branch and Hernando and South Haven has changed so dramatically. But the boom that Olive Branch had, you know, it's just, it's dramatic. Um, you know, it being one of the, considered one of the top places to live in the nation, one of the top places in the state. You know, and a lot of that is due to the aldermen who live here and everything that y'all have done here recently. And so when you when you reference that, it, it is something that is truly, truly amazing. And any lifelong resident has seen it and experienced it. Um, I lead that into say is that what is your motivation uh, with this position moving forward as you know as the current alderman and one uh, fighting for reelection? Uh, well, it's an interesting question. I, I quite frankly 
kind of a funny story. I, I never had a political bone in my body as far as running for office. Uh, I'll have to say I've thoroughly enjoyed it for the last eight years and, you know, the two terms I've served. But um, I was sitting in my office, uh, I want to say it was January of 2013, and the late Harold Henderson, who was one of our aldermen, came to my office one day, and I knew Harold from fishing in Sardis and around town, and he asked me to consider running for alderman. And um, I remember distinctly saying, you know, Harold, why in the heck would I want to do that? <laughs> and he um, he said, well, you've been a, you know, a businessman in the community and a part for a long time. We just think you do a, a good part, you know, serving your ward. So long story short, my wife and I gave it some consideration for a couple of weeks and put it to prayer and some thought. And uh, we were on the way to Gulfport, uh, Mississippi, to say our youngest son playing the uh, junior college, first round of the junior college football playoffs. And we just looked at each other and she said, okay, I'm in, let's do it. So here we are. But, um, it was a, it was a decision basically as a business owner here in town to see the continued growth that Olive Branch was going in, in a good direction. Uh, not necessarily because of the alderman, but you know, a lot of good business people and, and property owners in town wanted to see the direction we were going. And, uh, I wanted to focus on that controlled growth as we call, call it, uh, the proper way to continue to grow, to develop industry in town, uh, keeping our tax base down and basically offer a good economic environment and uh, opportunity for our young people to maybe stay here career-wise and then have to move off. So that was a, a big part of it there for our decision to, to run for, for Alderman. I feel strongly that the motivation for anyone who goes into public office, you know, should be a positive one for their betterment of their community and the citizens around them, you know. But as a business owner, I can see where it could benefit you personally, but also the community. And as, as a business owner, you can also see things differently than the average person. As a person who's not a business owner, I'm in education. I, you know, I work with kids all day and then I do, you know, podcasting and stuff. Um, there's a lot of things that I wouldn't know and I wouldn't feel comfortable making decisions on that a, a business owner or someone who deals in, in in that level would be more comfortable with or more apt to make decisions when it comes to building a government that is basically, let's be honest, around tax dollars and building and spending mm-hmm. money. And so um, a business background would be very beneficial. Would you say that the way that Olive Branch has been going during your time, does it fall in line with what your, your personal vision of Olive Branch is? And what kind of, can you elaborate on what your vision is? for Olive Branch? Well, sure. Um, you know, in, in a couple of things you commented on, it's, I guess, the skill set it takes to be an alderman, and anybody can do it if you have a, a heart for your people and, and some common sense to, to make the right decisions with the facts that are presented in front of you. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that you know, our opinion as an alderman uh, is not necessarily what's important. We we cannot be arbitrary and capricious toward the decision that we're making. We have to take the facts that are presented for us and the codes that are in place and, and make that decision. Sometimes it's uh, pleasing to some and sometimes not, but those are the things we're, we're bound upon. But as, you know, as far as the vision goes, um, being in the insurance business and financial services business, we had a very successful agency and we're doing well and we're very appreciative. And I felt like that being an alderman and serving the public's a lot like we do our clients. You know, a lot of people 
call and they may have a complaint or concern and it's not really a negative thing. It's just they need more information or they cannot get help. And I, I think part of what we do is a liaison between our citizens and uh, the departments they need help from or the questions they have about, you know, where is the, where's the city going? Why can't we do this? Why can't we have this? And so I think that's the, the biggest aspect is just having a communication line to our people and letting them know, you know what it is we're about and where we're going. Uh, as far as my vision goes, I think, you know, I use the word controlled growth a lot. And as you've indicated, the tremendous growth we've been in through since the uh, late 80s and early 90s, uh, I use this term a lot, you know, the horse or the cow got out of the gate a long time ago, and, and it's just too late to shut it. The The school system's excellent, excellent in our county. Our, our affordable, our standard of living is very affordable, and people want to be a part of it. Uh, you can use that analogy. If you build it, they will come, and people are coming in droves. So. So the, the look that I, I have is while we cannot stop the growth and don't necessarily want to, what is it that we want? Well, we want quality places to go eat. We want quality places to go shop. Uh, we want a good, safe environment to live in. And, and nothing against Memphis for what they provided all of those years. But people don't necessarily want to drive 20 or 30 minutes in time to eat dinner. Uh, they don't necessarily want to drive to Wolf Chase Mall to go shopping. They want it here. Uh, so that was that was part of that growth aspect. But I think the biggest thing, too, is, you know, if I look forward 20 or 30 or 40 years from now, uh, I'm 60 years old and I probably won't be here that long. But if I were to look back, uh, what is it we set in motion so that maybe the children growing up in this town and this community getting an education, can they have jobs professionally, such as maybe white collar jobs or uh, what we call class A type building, engineering type jobs and those things that we can keep here along with um, maybe some research and development type facilities. Uh, nothing wrong with our warehouses. They've been a great stable part of our economy. But how do we build from that and move into maybe recruiting some national headquarters or, or regional headquarters? So that was kind of the division I had is how do we continue this growth uh, to where we're moving down the line, not for growth in growth's sake, but having the opportunities for our citizens to shop, to live and play, but also have a great economic environment that's self-sustainable. Um, and if you look at the, econ the economy the last 10 or 12 years, while we've had our ups and downs nationally, DeSoto County has been pretty level, pretty stable. Uh, and that's been a good thing to be a part of. I couldn't agree with you more. I think you have spoke elegant about uh, where you think the county should go and how things should happen um, when it comes to economic growth. Um, there has been concern and feedback from people we've spoken to, even personally, as a person who works in education and drives by several large factory warehouse type facilities uh, as being kind of the more constant thing you've seen here recently. I think people would really love the shift of seeing big name, uh, you know, corporations, like you said, headquarters different things that brings in a higher level paying positions, um, a different, uh, not so much a different type of clientele, but a different broader range of paying jobs um, that would change not only the uh, business landscape, but also the residential landscape of the people who move here and the investments they make in the community and things of that nature. Um, you know, the higher end positions and higher end companies and headquarters also leave, lead to higher end establishments 
of other businesses to correspond with those. And so I think that is a, I think it's a great vision and avenue to be looking forward. And uh, I hope there's things like that in Horizon, if there's anything you can mention. Well, you know, specifically, uh, I can't think of anything company-wise that I can name uh, coming in. And a lot of times uh, I'll give a large credit to Jim Flanagan, one of my good friends, the head of DeSoto Economic Council. But, uh, you know, the environment in DeSoto County, due to all of our cities and our county board as well, have created an environment that businesses like Amazon or uh, Maybelline or, or McCormick Spices that are already here in this area, uh, they look for when they come to Olive Branch. Uh, having a regional airport now that we have is, uh, is very exciting because I think that's going to help stabilize and, and grow that as well. But I'll, I use a term, I, I guess, probably overused in my industry called diversity. But I think it, it resonates true if you look at the current market today, uh, irregardless of what side of the political spectrum you're in, when you're heavy in oil or heavy in manufacturing or heavy in any one sector uh, and economy shifts, then that particular community can be hurt. Um, so I, I look at while we're the distribution capital of the world uh, with FedEx and UPS right here in the backyard, and I cannot imagine goods and services not being shipped around. But if something were to change in that warehouse environment, it would be good to have some light manufacturing here, maybe some uh, engineering or, again, high-end white-collar executive headquarter type businesses here. Uh, there's nothing on the horizon, again, that I, that I know of, and, and sometimes we can't call those out by name. But if we have that diversity, I think our economy will always be stable. And you get a different perspective of, of um, regional and, and national people coming in that have different aspects of social capital. Uh, they run for boards. They invest money in our schools. They invest money in other community projects that we need because municipalities don't always have the money to do that. Uh, so, again, I think it's very healthy to do, do those things uh, moving forward with that kind of diversity. I agree 100%. Do you feel like the community is in support of the vision that y'all have maintained for the last few terms that you've been in office? I think so as a whole. I mean, you know, you, you've always got your naysayers on every side. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to grow it. It, it is a pain with traffic. Uh, I get that. And one of our biggest challenges is infrastructure. How do we move truck traffic and car traffic around? But uh, I meet very few people who aren't appreciative of the fact that, again, I can go to uh, Kroger or go out to eat dinner or go to some nice, you know, steakhouse or places that are here locally. Uh, I can go shopping at the Tanger Outlet Mall a few, you know, a few miles away. Um, the biggest challenge with growth is, uh, and I think it's natural, we all feel this way a little bit, that uh, we like to be the last one in the, in the gate and shut it behind us and, and, and keep everything like it used to be. But uh, I remember a fellow that told me this, uh, oh, heck, eight years ago when I was campaigning. He said, I really don't want to grow. Uh, I came down here to get away from all that out of Memphis. And I said, yes, sir, I understand that. But uh, when you got here 25 years ago, I'm sure people that were already here didn't want you here either. And I didn't mean that, you know, <laughs> bad toward him. But I, like I wanted that, him to though. realize <laughs> that he has no corner on the market as far as buying a piece of property and locking the gates. Yeah, well, that, that's a uh, that's a good analogy. It, you know, it reminds me every time somebody complains about getting pulled over by a police officer, you know. And I remember the all personal experience of the officer looked at me, and I'm like, you know, there's other people speeding. And they looked at me and said, well, have you ever been fishing before? And I was like, uh, I said, yes, sir. And he goes, did you catch all the fish? And I said, here's my license and here's my insurance. You know? <laughs> and, and that was the end of the conversation. And so, you know, so I, I totally understand that. Well, you know, you, you, we talked about growth and we talked about vision and things. And so one of the hottest topics right now, 
now, and I know it's a sensitive subject, and sometimes there are things you can't discuss, and I, and I respect that. But you know, the biggest thing paling for Olive Branch that is is the biggest deal, obviously, is the annexation. And you know, we understand that that was something that happened, I believe, back in 2018, and you know, it was a unanimous vote um, between the mayor and the alderman, and you know, and the, the annexation was for basically 50 square miles to add on to Olive Branch City, reaching all the way down to Lewisburg communities and west almost to Bridgetown, and and so on. And that that is a that is a huge uh, undertaking, and um, and it's been met with some resistance and litigation and things. And I would love to know some background as, as one of the aldermen that were a part of this monumental uh, movement. You know, what what was y'all's motivation for this, and what was the rationale? Anything that you can convey from a personal message, uh, so that a person who maybe is novice or doesn't understand or is just afraid of the word annexation because they've heard nothing but negative things. What, what's something you could tell the the average citizen of OB about? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll be glad to comment on that uh, from my perspective, and, and some of the laws are involved in that as well. I'll kind of start with going back to you know vision and growth. Uh, I, I look at a couple of areas. Number one, uh, if you look at the Delta in Mississippi, it's a great place, beautiful history, a lot of you know open spaces and things, but there's a lot of small towns that lost the vision of growth and change, and change is hard on all of us. It's, it's difficult whether it's business or personal or, or um, you know, economic and municipal type issues like we have now. But but you have to look forward. And I go back to I-269 uh, as I answer this question. Uh, Senator Tommy Woods at that time from uh, uh, Bahalia and a gentleman, I don't know that particular senator's name, uh, representative in Memphis, but started looking at, you know, Memphis is going to grow someday. This whole area is going to grow. And how do we prepare for it? A lot of people don't realize this. I-269 was now 27 years in the making. Uh, They started a vision that said, how do we get traffic and growth and people around Memphis, uh, which would help the infrastructure traffic flow, but also create economic opportunity for the area. So when you look at that, um, I guess I'd go back to probably maybe 20 years ago, around 2000. Uh, A lot of people don't remember this, but the city of Olive Branch tried to annex some area down around the Lewisburg community then. Uh, And this is nothing against Lewisburg by any means. It's just a natural progression of growth because uh, Malone Road is kind of that dividing line between South Haven and Olive Branch. Uh, we don't have anywhere to grow westward, so our natural corridor is going to be south. Uh, and at that time, uh, Lewisburg met us with some resistance, as they are now, and I certainly understand that. People say, I, I live in the county because I want to live there. Uh, and yet, the, I think that was just prior to 08 as well. Uh, the economy changed, and we pulled away from annexation, the board and the mayor at that time. And I think any community, whether it be Eudora or Lewisburg or anyone else that's a, um, a small community that's not a legal township at this point, uh, realizes the expense to carry a township or a city is quite quite enormous. Uh, you've got fire protection, police protection, road, gas, sewer, all the things that go with that. Uh, so to my knowledge, if I remember well, Lewisburg kind of just let that die and the city of Isle Branch backed off. So here we are today. So I don't think it's a secret that that the natural, um, I guess, desire of, of growth, whether it be us or Hernando or South Haven, particularly when it comes to I-269, is what is the interchange? What are the interchanges going to be? Uh, you know, 305 and 269. I think next it comes uh, Craft Road and 269. 
then you've got Lauder and Getwell. You know, what, what's going to be there? Uh, how can we, again, control that growth where it looks nice? It's uh, not a bunch of um, uh, commercial businesses stacked on top of each other. How do we spread it out? We've got a good flow between resident business and also walking trails, quality of life. Uh, so those are the things that Olive Branch started looking at with that potential there as we need to grow uh, ourselves for our citizens here. And from, you know, from my perspective, um, when I, when I looked at it, there's a couple of key things that I guess I'll mention. Number one, financially, it was, it was a very easy decision to make because we're in good financial health. Uh, we have reserves built back up. Uh, one of the big things is, you know, fire protection. Uh, our volunteer fire guys do a fantastic job down there. Uh, and I'm sure we'll work with them on how we provide, uh, well, I know we'll work on it, how we provide fire protection, but, uh, what we will do with those particular fire departments and how we work with them uh, will only enhance the people that are there. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this when you go from a seven, eight, nine, or 10 in a fire rating down to a three or four, such as the city is, your tax increase that they will see on city taxes will be offset by your fire rating decrease, uh, which will help you on insurance rates. Uh, we, we know, uh, based on the numbers we see, that we can provide the police protection and the fire protection. Uh, we already run gas infrastructure down there, so there's a lot of good benefits that we can take you know, to those people. Uh, and also, you know, the tax revenue that will be gained uh, from, from the Avalorum tax on property down there will only enhance our, our parks and recreation that a lot of those people in the county already use. Uh, it will also help improve our infrastructure that people in the county use getting into Memphis to work or around the county going to eat and shop. Uh, so I think it'll be a very equitable aspect for everybody involved when it, when it comes down to it. Absolutely. Can you talk about how y'all determined uh, your line and size or anything detail-wise from that aspect? I think just geographically, um, you know, a lot of people look at it as a huge land grab. Uh, and it's it's not really a land grab for land grab's sake. It just happens to be, if you follow I-269, uh, that's the natural um border, if you will. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that Hernando would like to grow at some point. I don't know that they know which direction they would like to grow. They could go south, maybe a little east or west. Uh, again, we're kind of blocked by Marshall County line and the Coldwater River. Uh, so when you uh, and, and South Haven's already pretty much landlocked. But when you look at our natural growth perspective, uh, we can only go to the Marshall County line to the east and then down south to the I-269 quarter or the Coldwater River. So it was more uh, more geographical aspect than anything else based on where 269 flows. And my understanding is is that if this uh, annexation goes through uh, with this additional 50 square miles, Olive Ranch will become the second largest city in the state. Was that ever in the uh, the back of the mind of any of the aldermen or the mayor when that when this was decisions were made? No, I don't think so because the the purpose for growth of annexation is not necessarily, uh, you know, I guess from an ego standpoint to be the largest city or the second largest. It again was what what makes sense from a geographic perspective, uh, what makes sense from the recruiting perspective of what kind of business we can bring into our city, uh, like we've talked about before, what, what kind of business and the right kind of business. Because um, I think you, you can set a new tone down there and maybe have more what we call Class A office buildings, uh, maybe you know two and three-story office buildings that house regional and national firms because the warehouse district is going to continue to grow uh, out toward the airport and eastward. 
but uh, and I think you know financially, um, you talk about making decisions. Uh, if you've served on board of directors or anything else in the past, you look at the financial aspect. A lot of people don't realize this, that uh, Olive Branch has the lowest millage rate of any city in our county. Uh, and I think a lot of that is due to the industrial growth we've had. So the benefit to the residents is it keeps your personal taxes low. And with the industrial growth that we have and can continue to have uh, financially, I think it made a lot of sense for us. Uh, to, to look at this so that it would provide the dollars we need again for continuing infrastructure, uh, the gas and, and uh, now of course, electricals handled by North Northeast Power Electrical Association, but gas infrastructure, flood control, uh, sewer, water, all the things that we expect as a, as a resident of the city, uh, police and fire protection. Uh, and then again, again, the growth uh, that, that the schools, you know, are going to have to support, uh, you know, the, the tax base there. Uh, they're already paying taxes, uh, obviously, for school. But, uh, you know, the, just the overall aspect of where we're growing is going to benefit everybody as a whole. I agree. In my opinion. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, and I agree 100 percent. And thank, thank you for discussing the annexation part of it and some background on it. I think people will really appreciate, you know, a you know, personal perspective on that. One of the other things I think has become uh, very apparent due to current culture and climate and, you know, how news and government is portray, uh, perceived at this time, you know, uh, is sometimes considered basically not trustworthy or um, angled, however you want to put it. We believe that one of the things is, is a future for this podcast and, and, and something you and I've discussed previously is, is transparency will lead to trust. And when it comes to the Alderman meetings and, uh, you know, what is decided and stuff, you know, can you explain to the average citizen what it means for them to be transparent from y'all's point of view and, uh, you know, and how that might be a goal for the future? Yeah, that's, that's a, a very good question. I mean, obviously, you know, we live here too. Uh, unlike sometimes if you go to Jackson or, or Washington, D.C., while you're representing your people back home, uh, I won't say that the people who represent us have lost sight of it because I think they do an excellent job. But from a transparency standpoint, you know, my business is here. Uh, I go to church here, we live here, and we see people and, and we want to be forthright and honest with them, and we are. Um you know, we have a public meeting every uh, every Tuesday, uh, excuse me, the first and third Tuesday of every month. Uh, it is open to the public. And I know people would rather probably sit home and watch a ball game or do something else than to come listen to a city meeting, and I get it. But, uh, you know, our minutes are posted on the website. Our agenda is on the city website. And, you know, we, we, we possibly could do more, uh, probably should. Uh, but I think we're as open as uh, through those media outlets, uh, we have a Facebook page, so so people can find out what's going on, you know, in the city. And they're certainly welcome to call any alderman or the mayor at any time uh, that they need to. But uh, what people have to understand sometimes is that, particularly from a land use basis, one of the things that I always try to do is, is have respect and protect existing subdivisions and landowners uh, that have been here before uh, and what they purchased and what they're trying to do with their personal residence or their business. And yet we have to balance that with the growth or landowners who want to sell or develop property now um, in, into something else, whether it be a subdivision or a business. Uh, that's our new comprehensive land use plan. Every 
every city county needs to have an updated comprehensive land use plan how are we going to grow what makes the most sense uh so that we can balance what's been here and where we're heading uh those things are have always been open to the public uh and published i, I will say this i think you know unfortunately <laughs> People don't want to get involved until they think it's going to affect them. And I use this as an example. Uh, my first term, which was eight years ago, I uh, promoted and ran that I would have open town hall meetings, which I did. Uh, the first four years, I had a town hall meeting every year, which was a recap of the city, a recap of our ward, uh, both in the past of what we have done and what we think we need to do. And I kind of joke by saying at that time I was uh, 52 years old. I had 50 to 75 people show up each of those years, and I was the youngest person in the, in the, in the audience, which was kind of sad. Um, so I, I think one of the things that I wish people would get involved is the younger, you know, younger families. Uh, and of course, when I was raising my, my children, I know it was tough. You're running the ballpark off and on, you're going to church, you're going to dance, you're, you know, running wide open all the time doing homework and it's hard to go participate in those meetings. But I think people will get out of it what they put into it, meaning call your alderman, come to a public meeting, get on the website, make your comments and realize that we're trying to do the very best that we can with the laws and the codes that we have in place. Um, I fully believe that we need fair and equitable equitable code enforcement, which we have. And uh, just like one of my old high school coaches I served under, he says, you don't need to make too many rules because you got to enforce them all. Uh, so if we have a code that doesn't make sense anymore, needs to be changed, uh, we're doing that. We, we've tweaked a lot of codes in the past four years that were really outdated. Uh, so we need to keep up with those times as well. And I appreciate that sentiment. You know, as, a, as the podcast, one of our motivations was is to help with transparency and to be a link between the average Average citizen to their local government, their announcements, their chamber, uh, you know, sports, education, all those things. And, um, you know, I, I think it's something where if we can make a relationship um, with you and the other older persons and so on to where uh, and we can help disseminate that information from those meetings and stuff. And I know every county's, I'm sorry, every city's unique. Hernando, I believe, is, has gone to a, a live stream. And I know South Haven has gone to a, uh, a YouTube channel and some different Correct. things. And, and I've heard there are possible plans of Olive Branch doing something similar in the near future. But I also believe, like you said, you know, what you put into it is what you get out of it. And I think we're also in a world of convenience and ease. And uh, we get our news and information from different av- avenues. And I'm hoping that our podcast is an avenue for you and uh, the other aldermen to uh, give that information. And it's something I hope we can count on for the future to have you on the show more often, um, you know, even uh, possibly after every meeting, just to kind of give a little perspective um, from a person who can't be at a meeting or uh, doesn't understand why something was made a certain way or a decision was made. And uh, and if they hear from their aldermen themselves or, uh, you know, the information given to us and we're able to disseminate that to them, they can better understand and appreciate why the decisions are made and uh, and be more supportive of the government and build on that relationship of trust and un- understanding. Um, and would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And, and I certainly would be open to it. I appreciate the opportunity today to speak to you and our citizens of Olive Branch. I know, you know, the I guess as media has changed, we don't have the newspapers much as we used to obviously we don't have a local news channel down here so it, it you know podcasts are the the growing way to communicate and of course social media uh the downside to social media to me is that it, it tends to be a platform to be more uh, adversarial than uh, 
communication or, or communicatorial and working together. And that's sad because I think one of the things we've lost is just the, the outright open communication and whether we agree or disagree, move to a resolution that's uh, as amicable and best for all as we can at that point and keep continuing to improve. Uh, I'll say this about our current board and one of the things that's been you know, fun to, to serve with for the last eight years. And one of the reasons I'm running again is that uh, regardless if we're all elected again or not, uh, this particular board has been great to work with. Uh, we always don't agree on everything and we've had our discussions and disagreements, but at the end of the day, we put those things aside and try to move forward for the best of the city and, and you know, shake hands, hug an egg and move forward. Because again, we all live here. We want the same things for ourselves and our, our fellow citizens. Absolutely. And we would absolutely love to have you and have any older person on the show to be able to communicate information. And I think you speak a very positive message to help our community and I, myself, Cash and the podcast. And then I believe listeners uh, would show a, a large grit of gratitude for that. Gil, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know uh, we have been talking for a good while, but it has been quite a pleasure. Uh, it is uh, it is very fulfilling. And uh, as I tell people all the time, you fill my cup uh, to learn about um, you know our local elected officials, citizens, and everything, and you've brought a perspective that is much appreciated. And I think people who are listening will feel the same way. I, I really hope that we can continue uh, building a community in a strong way that you have been doing for the last eight years. Uh, I wish you uh, a strong uh, re-election campaign, and uh, wish you luck on your re-election. I believe that if anybody contacts us with questions directly to what you've talked about, we would have an open line of communication, and I would send them your way. And I appreciate what you and cash are doing i think this is a wonderful platform and i'll be glad to be a part of it anytime you need me and uh, as we close out let me make a comment on election real quick because i definitely believe in in voting and, and and despite the um consternation we had in the last presidential election uh, you know i hope people realize that this is not really about parties on the local level it's about our community and i would encourage everybody to go vote uh, don't let uh, the last election sour you uh, the the um, primary elections are April the 6th, uh, which I think in Olive Branch, we are not going to have a primary election because uh, none of us were opposed on the Republican platform and the Democrats uh, were the same way. So everything's been moved to the June 8th uh, general election. Uh, so I would just encourage everybody to look at the uh, Olive Branch website. That's uh, obms.us. Uh, you will find your poll locations there. And uh, just like always, get out, support the candidate that you think will do the best job for you in running the city and being your advocate. Um, get out and go vote. Do your thing, as we say, and uh, we look forward to seeing everybody on the polls on June the 8th. And everybody, this is Gil Earhart for Ward 1. And so make sure if you enjoy what you're saying and, you know, and you feel his way, and don't be shy to give him your vote. But other than that, guys, I think we're going to call it a day. Gil, again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate you joining the podcast, and we look forward to next time. Sounds great. Thank you, Zach, for having me. Have a great day. Up next, we got the new coach in town. Old Town Fitness aims to help people of all ages and fitness levels feel strong and confident as they go about their daily lives. Our dedicated coaches will walk you through our functional fitness classes and modify any movements to your current fitness level. We're located at 9045 Highway 178 in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Our grand opening will be March 8th with classes starting at 6 a.m. All right, Olive Branch, pretty excited here. I have got the new football coach of Olive Branch High School, Coach Jason Russell, with me today on the interview. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today? 
Man, I'm doing swell, doing swell. Coach, I got to ask, man, how is life in Olive Branch right now? I heard you've already got started over at the school. Uh, how's it been so far? Well, you know, honestly, it's been great. The kids, I've had an opportunity to interact with them. We've actually run three different workouts this week. I started on Monday. They have been very receptive to the program that I've brought in. The uh, people that I get a chance to work with day in and day out, the other faculty at the school have been nothing but receptive and, and kind. And, and I think everybody's just really, really excited about Conquistador football and, and the future of Olive Branch football. I think we've just got an opportunity to be a, a successful and a really exciting program. I have no doubt. Coach, I can tell you honestly from my experience as a former player in DeSoto County, you know, I graduated from Hernando back in the day of 99. There has been a long standing tradition of excellence and expectations, honestly, in the Olive Branch area, all the way back from Coach Poole. Uh, all the way up to now current and I think a lot of people are excited about your hire and what you're bringing to the table coming in is for long-term goals mm-hmm. here fortunately all the branches had a stand of about four coaches in about four or five years and I think the community and the school and the kids are ready for a coach to step in here really establish roots and uh, bring something that the community has been waiting for for a long long time and I hope that's something you're bringing to the table here well absolutely I've had the, the luxury of being very very picky as to where I wanted to be a head coach, I've had I've had other opportunities and other other job offers, and I turned those down because those those opportunities were ones where I couldn't see myself really raising my kids for the for for the entirety of their school life. I wanted to get to somewhere that I could set down roots and be for a long time. I felt like Olive Branch, or I, I feel like Olive Branch has obviously got an opportunity to win football games and be a, a, a in the running for a state championship every single year. I just think this is one of the best programs uh, in the state and gives me an opportunity to really build a program and, and stay somewhere for the long haul. The other side of that, you know, I've got, a, I've got two little girls. I don't want them to grow up and have to bounce around and move all the time. So I never wanted to take the, the smaller job to get to the bigger job and kind of bounce back and forth. I just, I didn't feel like that was fair to them. And then, you know, the thing that most people don't know is that uh, my mom lives literally four miles from the school. So while I didn't grow up in the Olive Branch community, uh, I have strong ties to the Olive Branch community. My mom has lived there for 16 years and literally lives four miles from the school. So uh, when I stay up to school a little bit too late right now until I can get a house, I uh, actually just stay there with my mom. So it, it's really a, uh, an opportunity for me to come somewhere where, where uh, I have family. My girls are really excited about moving next to their grandmother and, and living by their grandmother. So there's some real exciting things for our family. That's awesome, Coach. That's good to know that you got family roots here. That that means a lot to this community because a lot of people come to DeSoto County for the family atmosphere of it, the good schools, the opportunities in athletics. And to hear that you already have some family here and your family's excited about getting here, uh, that's that's epic in my mind. And I think uh, I think everybody around here will be excited to hear that. You know, getting right into football, Coach, what, what are some of your immediate short-term goals you have for the program? Absolutely. Well, you know, the first thing we've got to do right now, we want to get the community more involved. You know, Olive Branch is, is uh, one of the most uh, storied programs in the state of Mississippi. You know, we've been playing football in Olive Branch since 1926. We're coming up on 100 years of football. And there's so many people that have ties to our program. And those people need to feel like they have a stake and that, that, that they're involved. And so one of the main things that, that I want to do is bring our community back uh, into the stadium, bring our community back, uh, get everybody interested back in Olive Branch football. And of course, one of the big uh, things that's so important with that is winning football games. You know, I, I think the, the first step to that is making sure that our athletes are in a top-notch shape. One of the things that I bring in with me, 16 years of experience in the strength and conditioning industry and then as a strength coach. 
so we've really we've actually started that this week, implementing our strength program. The kids have had a blast uh, working in it. They're they're all limping pretty good right now around the school. There's a lot of energy in our program right now. You know, it, it kind of stays that way all the time. It doesn't ever really let off. I always I'm always pushing the envelope as far as uh, training goes. That's fantastic. I uh, a lot of our listeners might know it, but believe it or not, you and I have actually competed against each other in the past. When I used to be a coach at DeSoto Central, I used to run a powerlifting program, yep. and you ran a very successful one there at Oxford at one time back in the day. Sure. And so I, I know from personal experience that you uh, you uh, excel well in the weight room, and I have no <laughs> doubt that Olive Branch will be uh, looking a little bit tougher when it comes to hitting that iron. So I, I look forward to hearing about that's how true. that's going to work out. As for that. What do you think about long-term goals for right now, Coach? I know that's kind of easy to say. You know, you, everybody talks about state championships and, you know, things of that nature. But is there anything specific you've thought about that maybe the community or the school is something they can help with? Or, you know, hey, what, what, what you got? Well, you know, I've got several things that, uh, that plan to get the, the community involved, get the uh, school, get, get more people excited about the program. Winning takes care of a lot of that. And, uh, you know, of course, we want to challenge, and I feel like we should challenge every year and, and be in the running for a state championship at Olive Branch. As we go down down the years, sustainability. You know, I think you start with your with your younger programs and getting our younger kids uh, that are about to get into middle school. We're going to have a youth football camp at the end of the school year. Uh, get those young kids involved. Get them excited about a chance to be a conquistador in a few years. You know, our upcoming seventh graders. Get them and get them involved. And get them into our middle school program. We've got a great program there, and the more kids we can get involved in that, get excited about football, the better chance we have when they get to us. So, I want to build a program, not just a team. You know, I think if you come in with a team mindset, you're looking to be good for a year or two. I'm wanting to work on a program and start building something that can be good for years to come. I agree 100%. If you know. To me, a program speaks to roots, meaning that you're going to be a staple of the community that people want to be a part of. There's no better way than getting the young folks and the young kids to get excited about the future of the sports in the high school and what it can lead to. Um, Olive Branch kind of leads the county probably in larger Division One athletes and or signees, especially here recently. You know, I think a lot of people uh, are pretty excited about that and hoping they can continue that tradition. And I think that's something that's obvious that what a program built for. So I, I completely agree with that, Coach. Is there any uh, any future coaching changes or any additional coaches that maybe you're bringing with you from your old programs or seeking anything in the community? Well, you know, I, I, I can't really speak to exactly who, you know, coaching changes and everything, but I will make this commitment to our program is that the first thing that when I, when I want to talk to prospective coaches at Olive Branch is I want to, first of all, make sure that they're good men. That they're good men. They're going to set a good example when they're around these kids. We're going to build a program based on good, strong morals and character, and then we're teaching them more than just simply how to win a football game. Again, that's extremely important, but when they... You know, they go, they'll go out of our doors. We want them ready to be great husbands and, and, and fathers and uh, members of our community. So you know, that's the first thing uh, is to make sure we have quality people walking in the door. And then after that, we want to make sure that they can they can coach some X's and O's and, and make sure our kids are, are, are coached up well. So that's my commitment. When I bring a, when I bring a, a man into our program to help lead it, they're going to be somebody of high character and, and, and be ready to coach those kids up and give them the best position to win games and, and get ready for their life after football. Coach, that's impressive. That's not something you typically hear 
a lot of times when it comes to a high school forum or coach or something like that. And I think community that values their kids having good values and morals to hear that would be much appreciation. You know, when you were talking about X's and O's, coach, can you can you elaborate to some of them armchair quarterbacks we have around here in the community and parents of what what kind of style of coach are you? Is there a certain type of offense you're known for? Is there a certain type of defense you're known for? Or, you know, anything you could give us a little bit for those guys out there? Absolutely. Well, I'm an I'm an offense guy uh, by nature. I was I played offensive lineman in the uh, in college, in the NFL, the AFL, and the CFL. I was I've always been an offensive guy. I love offense, but I also think the key to winning games is being able to stop people. You know, I've, I've been in games where I've lost and we scored you know almost fifty points. Defense is extremely important to me, but offensively, more of a spread offensive person, and I always kind of hesitate to say spread offense because immediately people think, okay, they're spread offense or soft and finesse, and it couldn't be anything further than the truth. The offenses that I've been a part of, we do spread people uh, horizontally all the way across the field, but football is won still by physicality and winning the line of scrimmage. So what you should look for with us is an offense that's able to be multiple in formation. Uh, sometimes we'll be all the way spread out across the field. Sometimes we'll tighten up physical at the line of scrimmage. Uh, I believe that the best offenses are balanced as far as run the pass. If, if you had a perfect world, you know, we would throw it the same amount of times we run it, and we would have that and be very successful. But offense is always dictated by the players. You know, us as coaches, our number one job as an offensive coach is to get the ball in the hands of the best player on the team. And if that best player is the running back, well, he's probably going to touch it a little bit more than the other guys do just because he gives us the best chance to win. So that being said, spread-based offensive mind, but uh, a lot of physicality, a lot of toughness on our team. Uh, we're going to be a disciplined football team uh, and, and doing things the right way. And uh, so I, I can't tell you exactly run the pass ratio. Again, in my ideal world, it's about 50-50. I understand. Well, I can tell you, Coach, in the in the past, back when Scott Sampson was here and other coaches that were highly successful, they ran very similar ideas of what you're talking about, a spread or semi-spread package that had a, a lot of unique runs. Uh, you know, zone veer options, you know, even stuff that was triple to You name it, they, had, they were very – widely versed and it led to a lot of success so and so to me that fits right in with what has been successful in the past here for this community you know in the, the past few coaches have been some major changes in the styles of offense there have yep. been the flex bone was uh, here recently and stuff and that was an acquired taste for this community uh you know your your arch rival you know our semi-arch rival over center hill they run that kind of program so it's a very unique uh, it's not as commonly used, but it is effective when it's done right. But I think the community is going to accept what you're talking about very well and be excited. It sounds like it's, it can be a big play offense. But the physicality is what all the branch is always known for. And so by you saying that, I think you're, you know, you're, that's the key that turns on the tractor for everybody around here. Coach, when it comes to anything else, is there yeah. any other big announcements coming on for this spring or summer? Is there a spring game or anything that a, you know, a community or school or anybody could uh, let anybody know about? Yeah, we've got, we've got several things coming up. Uh, we, I sit down with my coach today and we had a uh, actually quite quite lengthy meeting just kind of going through the different things you know i think again all branches is a big time program and it needs to be run that way uh, there's a lot of different ideas that i have that are going to again involve the community get everybody excited about all branch football this spring of course we've got a we've got a fundraiser coming up that we do every year of course that's, that's great for people to know that you know they see people come around we do a cookie dough fundraiser every year been highly successful before I got here. That's going to start after spring break. You know, that's the first thing we've got going on. Uh, we've got a spring game. We'll be playing against Lake Comrade, and we're playing on May 13th is our date for our spring game. It's going to be an early game, and 
So what we're planning on there is, is starting the game directly after when school lets out. We want to get all the students in, in the stands and get them an opportunity to come you know, directly from the school and have an opportunity to watch the football program uh, as well as everybody in the community. So we've got that for our spring game. The end of the school year, uh, we'll have a youth football camp. And we'll, uh, we'll actually have two of them. We'll have one youth football camp that's for our kindergarten students all the way up through our fifth grade students. And that'll be an opportunity to get those, those kids out there and, and meet our coaching staff and meet some of our players and uh, just go through some drills. And, you know, it'll last a couple of days and it'll give them an opportunity to experience conquistador football and just get fired up about being part of our Olive, Olive Branch program. Then we'll also have a camp for our upcoming seventh graders just to get them again involved get them excited about being a part of the program because they're going to be the future of our program you know the next year they'll start uh, playing football in seventh grade and uh, so we want to make sure we get as many of those kids out as possible and uh, interested in playing the game you know going through the summer we've got some some great plans uh workouts and everything uh, right before the season we're going to do something pretty pretty cool uh I, I think i got this from coach over there in uh in hoover alabama he does it every year and i think it's a fantastic idea and when he told me i i, I always said that uh, when i have an opportunity to be a head coach this is something i want to do what we'll do is we'll have a mother son football night we're going to bring the moms in and the kids in and we're going to teach the moms about the game of football and just all the little uh, nuances and how in the rules of the game and you know some moms may know all of it and uh, some moms it may be completely new to them uh but you know the point of it more than anything else is a is a great night for the for the moms and their sons to have there at the, at the facility we're going to cook dinner and have a big dinner and uh, so it'll be an opportunity to bring those moms together uh, with their kids. Uh, that's absolutely awesome. I, I I know the parents will appreciate that. You know, it's kind of a shakeup of a little bit of tradition, but also creates tradition. That's something a lot of people forget is that you know there are you know there's two parents in a lot of situations, and sometimes that could be an aunt, it could be a grandmother, it could be anybody that that player wants to bring. But that's a, what another way to get somebody infused into yeah. the program that's not typically sought after. I think that's a great idea. I think it'll be well received. And coach, I'll tell you, I, I think this community is. Uh, hungry to be there to help support I think the cookie dough fundraiser will go well we'll gladly mention that here and try to promote it here through the podcast to be looking for that to help you guys out for the for the spring and summer I know the summer workouts will go great I know sometimes the community steps up and they'll uh, they'll bring drinks or do a watermelon party and different things of that nature if they help the kids you know especially during seven on seven camps or anything like that that happens. And so I think it's a situation, Coach, where you can reach out to us and we can help facilitate that. I know there's a lot of community members that reach into the school uh, consistently, especially towards the spring, uh, that want to step up and help. And so I fully expect them to be, uh, you know, knocking at your door and blowing up your email to look for ways they can help you. And if there's anything we can do here at the podcast, we definitely want to do that to help you for your upcoming season. Sounds great to me. Coach, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you're busy and in between uh, yep. in between two areas of Olive Branch and the you know Oxford area, and uh, you know getting your family put together. And, and so I uh, I wish you luck, uh, immediate success with this spring, um, and I wish you long term luck here at Olive Branch. Uh, I look forward to getting to come out and watch you uh, coach the kids uh, and see any success you're going to bring the Olive Branch school. And from that point forward, I really just want to say from our podcast, good luck and uh, Godspeed. All right, thank you. So much. Thank you for having me on. Coming up next, we have our newest contributor, Bob Bakken. Are you looking to buy or sell your home or property in Olive Branch area? 
I would like to recommend Carla Wilson of Capstone Realty Services. Carla is a straight shooter that is honest and resourceful in the current and ever-changing market. No one wants to feel like they're a number or that they're being squeezed for a higher commission or quick sale. Carla will show you you are valued and will never pressure you or even guide you in the wrong direction. Reach out to Carla at 901-827-3288 or you can also email her at carlawilson.re at gmail.com. Listeners, I want to introduce you to one of our newest team members of OB Pod. That would be our contributor, Bob Bakken. He is a reporter for the DeSoto County News. Bob, how are we doing today? Hey, we're doing good, Zach. Thanks for uh, having me be part of all this. I think it's really exciting for uh, what's going on in all of that and to be able to find out uh, uh, you know, all the local happenings, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Absolutely. This is a this is a relationship that is going to do nothing but bolster the podcast, the community, and everyone to have more information, different perspectives, and we're really excited to join the team. And uh, but Bob, before we get into anything, you know, anytime we have a new person to the show, we always like to hear a little history or a little bit of how you got to where you are, and so the you know, listeners can learn about you. Can you give us some background? Well, certainly, I am a Midwesterner, native Midwesterner, but I've been in uh, DeSoto County for going on 13 years now. Came here in 2008. My main background has been in broadcasting, and it was uh, broadcasting and my love of hockey, actually, that uh, brought me here to DeSoto County because I became the media coordinator and uh, voice radio play-by-play broadcaster for the Mississippi River Kings. I had been involved in uh, junior hockey in the Omaha, Nebraska, and Sioux City, Iowa area for about 15 years prior to that, along with working at radio stations in those uh, areas. And uh, it was uh, being able to move into the professional ranch, you might say, that uh, enticed me to come down here and to be a part of uh, DeSoto County and have been really happy that we made the move. After three years, they made some moves in another direction and I made another move, I guess, in another direction and I moved into television. I worked with uh, ABC 24 and uh, CW 30 Television in Memphis uh, being a news producer and I was there for about a year and a half. Uh, enjoyed it. It uh, I got to learn a whole lot about the television news business uh, during my time there. Uh, and, but uh, from there, I uh, got connected uh, with the uh, DeSoto Times Tribune and was hired as the sports editor and uh, general reporter for the DeSoto Times Tribune, which uh, I was at for about seven years until uh, this past July, uh, when I guess I technically became retired from full-time work, but about a month later, found out about the uh, DeSotoCountyNews.com website and their desire to uh, really pick up uh, the news coverage in DeSoto County. And so between DeSotoCountyNews.com and myself, we got together and I just kind of moved everything that I did with the newspaper over to the uh, online publication and uh, that's where I've been since uh, basically August of uh, this past year. So broadcasting to television, to newspaper, and now online publication, I guess uh, I just can't get away from being in the media. And I've been very happy and very enjoyed, uh, very much enjoyed what I'm doing. So is the Soda County News where we're going to be able to find all of the articles that you're going to be posting at? Yes, that's correct. Everything that uh, goes on there goes on to the website. 
It is DeSotoCountyNews.com. It's free right now. There's not a charge. We don't have a subscription of, of any type right now. Uh, you just go on it. Like, just go surf uh, any particular website, and all the latest items that I post uh, go up on there. Uh, we're also very active in social media. We have two uh, Facebook pages. Uh, one for DeSoto County News-MS, that is uh, our news uh, Facebook page. And we also have another one called DeSoto County Sports, and that is where we put our sports items on as well. And then I also uh, dabble in Twitter a little bit, at uh, DeSoto underscore news uh, is our Twitter handle. And we have uh, uh, most all of the links that go to the website, most all of the activities on our uh, website, go to our Twitter page and also to our Facebook pages. Beautiful. And speaking about your DeSoto County Sports Twitter page, we heard that you were down in Jackson for a fantastic women's game that we were talking about last week. That's right. I've actually, we've had some very good basketball in DeSoto County this last year. And uh, I guess I, I'm saying right now that I'm suffering from a big case of uh, white line fever. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I have seen I-55 more times than I care to. The Yellow Branch girls uh, obviously have been one of the top teams in fact, ranked the top team in Mississippi 6A basketball, and Ooh. they were able to make it to the state finals and actually claimed their third straight state championship over Germantown uh, of Madison here this past weekend as we're talking. It's just been very exciting to see that program and how they have really dominated the state stage in high school girls basketball in Mississippi. Uh, that's an understatement. Cash and I have been talking about them uh, all through the first episode and off air for a while, and we, we kind of pegged them as the top program when it comes to girls basketball in the state overall, not just 6A. Uh, they're very well coached. I believe the head coach, Thompson, is, this makes his, like I believe, ninth or tenth state championship. I think he's either tied or close to breaking the record for most uh, by a single coach. I think it's uh, a phenomenal situation. Uh, we have a hats off to those girls. You know, if somebody wasn't able to make the game, Bob, you know, what what are some of the highlights or stats, you know, that uh, the viewer would want to hear about? Well, first, uh, uh, John Thompson, uh, uh, Jason Thompson, excuse me, I think he could almost be John Thompson in Georgetown the way he's been coaching. <laughs> Jason Thompson uh, now has won nine state championships. Uh, six at H.W. Byers and now uh, the last three in a row of 1-5-A and 2-6-A uh, at Olive Branch. Uh, he has uh, just done a fantastic, phenomenal job with the girls' basketball program over in Olive Branch. Uh, that that game was pretty exciting, uh, to say the least, but Olive Branch uh, really had control of the contest through uh, much of it. They actually, I think, got uh, a double-digit lead on Germantown. As we all know, games like this typically don't end up to be blowouts too, too often. And Germantown came back. I think both teams had an issue with foul trouble. Uh, and uh, they had a couple of players from uh, Germantown uh, foul out of the game. And uh, Olive Branch also lost in the course of the contest uh, Amaya Black to fouls. That gave uh, Germantown a chance to come back when uh, Rama Pegues, who was the MVP of the uh, championship game, she picked up her fourth foul. Uh, Jason uh, had to sit her down for a little bit, but that was what gave uh, Germantown the chance to come back in, in that contest. And they took a really a a double-digit lead and brought it down to about uh, four or three points uh, at one point. Raymond had to come back in the game, and she took control of that contest. She is, 
she's going to be one of the top players in the state if she isn't already. She's a junior, and I know my story at DeSotoCountyNews.com about the first paragraph I said was the uh, worst news that the Mississippi 6A basketball fans of girls basketball in Mississippi uh, can hear is that Rama Piggies is going to be back for one more year because <laughs> you're going to have to deal with her again. And certainly the best news for all the branch girls basketball fans is that she is a junior and she will be back uh, next year and she will probably dominate uh, the girls basketball world once again. She finished with 28 points and as I mentioned, she was the MVP of the championship game. Uh, they also give a scholar athlete prior to the contest, one from each side. And uh, Rama was also selected as the uh, Scholar Athlete uh, Award winner. So uh, it was a big night for Rama in particular, but uh, she certainly didn't do it all alone. They also got help from uh, Trinity Plays. I, I'm going to mess that name up, uh, but uh, she had 15. Addison Howell, who's a new addition transfer, I believe, from Oxford. Uh, she had 11 back again before she fouled out, had 10 uh, for the night. So um, it was certainly not just a, a one-person game for Olive Branch, although uh, her play was huge. It's it, it was just a good contest. Like I said, there was a lot of, uh, I think the officials really wanted to take control of the game right away. They called a lot of fouls, I think, early on, but I, nothing that I really saw that was kind of questionable. Uh, they did a good job in in controlling the game. So uh, I know we, you've probably talked about officiating, I think, in the past elsewhere. A little but, bit. Uh, in in <laughs> this case, uh, I had no issue with what was called. They just wanted to make sure that the game was played uh, well and played hard. So I'm, I'm not going to go into that anymore. Certainly, as the, the foul started to mount up, I started thinking a little bit about how they were going to play the rest of the game, you know, with certain players being in foul trouble. So hats off to uh, Olive Brand gals, uh, played hard, played well. Uh, they were able to hold off uh, Germantown when uh, uh, Germantown made some moves uh, to try and close the gap uh, later on in the contest and uh, came away with the victory. Uh, good support from Olive Branch uh, that night. Uh, it was good to see a lot of fans that were there at uh, Mississippi Coliseum. And uh, I know I enjoyed being at Old Miss last year for the state championship games. But it was also kind of nice to get back to the big house and uh, to be able to play those games in that uh, arena, I'm sure it's going to mean a lot to the gals as well. And it's good to know that we still have nice energy, especially a full year removed and coming back, trying to get some normalcy into our lives once again. I, I've always been, you know, just to kind of get away from sports for a little bit, but I've always been of the mind that, you know, we we need to do the safe things. But at the same time, we can't just sit with the safe things. We have to, the goal has to be to move forward, to be moving forward. And I think we're doing that. We're doing a much better job. We've got vaccine now. We are seeing fewer uh, victims. We're seeing fewer cases being reported. Maybe we're starting to head down that direction. Just can't sit in one spot and just believe that's going to be what it's going to be forever and ever. We need to move on. And uh, I think we're starting to do that here. And I, I think I saw an example of that with the uh, state basketball tournament here this past weekend. 
Bob, I can't thank you enough, man. I really appreciate you giving us the information on the basketball game. That hearing all those stats and those girls' names, and you know, putting that with it, uh, with that kind of program, I know those kids are going to appreciate it. I know the parents are going to appreciate it. I know the community is going to appreciate all your reporting on this. And, well, and giving uh, it the reporting that it deserves because exactly. it is a state championship, and these women worked their butts off to get to where they were. Absolutely. And so, I, I, again, we want to say thank you from Ob Pod. I think the community is saying thank you. But just to reiterate, where can they go again just to make sure they know to look for your written article on this situation as well as where to find you if they want to give you information or maybe something they have a lead on you can look at the website which is desoto county news all one word dot com desoto county news dot com on social media we are desoto county news slash ms on facebook for news and uh, desoto county sports for uh, sports items and that's where you'll see a link to uh, the story on the uh, state championship and then uh, we do dabble in twitter at soto underscore news is our uh, twitter uh, as far as contacting me by email you can uh, go to the soto county news at gmail.com is, is an email address that we've set up so look forward to hearing from people Absolutely. Well, also, uh, any listener, if you have something you want to send to the podcast for Bob to look into, we're also, again, at our normal email, that is theobpodcast at gmail.com, so that we can pass that along to Bob as well if you want to do it that. And all of these links will be in our show notes in case you couldn't remember anything. So we've got you covered. Absolutely. Well, Bob, until the next story, man, we sure appreciate you joining us. Are you tired of an unimpressive lawn or need some help from a local professional to get your yard the way you want it? Look no further than Master Lawn for your weed control and fertilizing needs. Master Lawn has been serving the Olive Branch community and surrounding areas for over 25 years and is ready to add you to their long list of satisfied customers. Contact them today for a free quote through their website, www.masterlawninc.com or call 901-250-0873. Very rarely are we ever going to be able to start this off with national news, but we had some that is going to affect all of us here at the local level, and that is going to be a $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package. Hopefully that's one of the last times we talk about coronavirus here, but it's important because everyone should be getting close to a $1,400 stimulus check. Some of the qualifiers for that are going to be making under $75,000 independently or $150,000 as a married couple. And if you are filing as married, well, that would be $2,800 into your bank account. Now, this is going to be based off of your latest tax filing. So if you haven't gone gone ahead and filed for this year, it's going to be based off of your 2019 tax filing. The other big kicker with this is, well, your kids are finally going to be able to give you a little bit money back. They're going to be $1,400 a piece as well, and and it does not end at the 17-year-old cutoff like a lot of other ones do. This includes college kiddos and some kids that are labeled as dependents with disabilities. So, for example, if you're a family of four, well, that's $5,600. And if you're a family of five, that's 7000 Do you know what that means? I don't know. Are you going to tell me? A great down payment. Yes, I know where you're going with this. Guys, there is a 
great local shop here in Olive Branch called Olive Branch Auto Sales. I, I challenge anyone to go on their Facebook page and you will not find more pictures of people shaking hands with a salesman, completely satisfied with a new purchase. Okay. They sell the best quality used vehicles uh, all around here. They specialize in trucks. I know their head salesman, his name is Robert Scott. He's a phenomenal guy. Uh, they're going to make sure you're happy and you're not working with one of the big box stores. I'll give you an example. My wife and I go to these dealerships when we, we, we unfortunately she had a wreck not long ago we had to buy a new car there's nothing worse than going into the dealership lot and you feel like vultures are starting to circle you, oh, you i know you, that you know what i'm well. saying like you want to go over to all the branch auto sales and you're going to meet guys who are not going to go over there and say hey you ready and pester you this that, or so on you come up to them you ask questions when you're ready they're going to take care of you and it's a true local place that's going to take care of the customer 100%. And they're going to find you stuff. They have been selling cars here locally, not terribly long, but they're getting customers from out of state driving over here for their service. If you are in the market, do not hesitate. Make sure you check out Olive Branch Auto Sales. As for more news on the state level, Governor Tate Reeves has decided to end the mask mandate. As of March 3rd at 5 p.m., there is no more mask requirements, as well as there's no more business restrictions when it comes to mask requirements. Under Executive Order 1549, he has removed all mask requirements except for K-12. through Now, he, also, he has replaced those mask requirements with recommendations to follow your local health experts. Now, remember... Your businesses can still require you to wear masks, as well as your local governments, such as your county, your mayor, and so on, can also put mask restrictions on, so every county could be unique. The last thing is that Governor Reeves also put in place was is that if there is an arena, you can only have 50,000 people in it at one time. No, 50%. You're correct. Sorry, did I say 50,000? You did say 50,000. Flub on my part. <laughs> However, that is correct. 50%. Now, that is important because there is going to be a massive Travis Trick concert happening in Corinth, Mississippi. And if you're wondering how you can get tickets, well, 95.3 The Rebel is going to be giving away some Travis Trick concert tickets. So make sure that you're following us on Facebook and listening to us on the radio because we will let you know this is all going to happen on May the 8th. Now, Travis Tritt will not be visiting any K-12 through schools, and so their attendance policy or capacity is different. At a high school or middle school, any K-12, through you're only allowed to have 50% of an outside event and 25% of an inside event. Now, some of you are like, well, basketball season's over, and that's kind of the last thing you do inside. That's not true. As a high school administrator, I can tell you, we are right in the middle of archery season, and DeSoto County has several great archery teams. And they compete inside in the gym or in an indoor facility, as well as we have band, choir, several other things that perform or have activities in a gym or large area. And so that 25% does make a difference. Continuing on the local level, Senate Bill 2536 has passed in both houses and is sitting on Governor Tate Reese's desk to be signed. And he has already come out and said he is going to sign it. Some of you may be asking, well, what is Senate Bill 2536? Well, it is a potential law to prevent transgender people from competing in female sports in K-12 college and universities in the state of Mississippi. In the fine print, it is a designated sport for females, women, or girls should not be open to students of the male sex sex is determined by birth if in question doctors will determine sex by genetics or other matters 
If you'd like to learn more about this, I highly encourage you to listen to our partner podcast, Under the Water Tower Podcast. Their most recent episode called They See Me Rolling has a great segment where they go into detail in history about how this law was proposed and why its purpose was. I highly recommend you looking into that. In our last part, we're going to discuss the income tax bill and give you an update. Currently, it has passed the House and it is headed to the Senate. This is SB 1439. This bill proposes that a person who makes under $50,000 as an independent will no longer have income tax. And under a household that makes under $100,000 would immediately lose its income tax. If you made more than these on your last taxes, your income tax would be phased out over several years. Now that is a large part of the state budget. Such things as raising the sales tax, raising farm tax, and other taxes have been mentioned as a possible way to recoup the loss in income tax. Governor Tate Reeves says himself that he believes that we can remove the state income tax over a 10-year period for all and do nothing to replace it. He believes the commercial revenue will replace all lost revenue, such as the same models that follow in Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. You know, Cash, talking about all these houses and passing and all this stuff like that, it reminds me one of our newest sponsors, and that is um, Spence and Abby Rodman. Uh, they run a company called Rodman Properties here in DeSoto County, especially in the Olive Branch area. And they are a business that helps people in bad situations a lot of times. And I hate to say that it's a bad situation, but a lot of times that is what it is, is that if you have a house or a property that's in disarray, poor shape, or you acquired it through, who knows, a divorce or a loss of a loved one, things happen, you know what I mean? And you need to get rid of that property or you don't want to fool with fixing it or things, or it's just time you want to get out of town, whatever it is. Rodman Properties is the kind of place you want to contact. This is where you don't have to worry about a realtor. You don't want to have to worry about the long, drawn-out process a lot of times when it comes to buying and selling homes and things. They are a local company. They have a personal touch but handle things very professional. They'll come in and look at your home and have an honest conversation with you, give you honest answers, and a fair price if you want to sell. And this is the kind of stuff you want. And this is what you also want to help a local company that helps the community. A lot of times they don't just turn around and resell it or leave it as is. They actually go to revitalize the property and they'll sell it, which builds the community they're within. Or a lot of times they also turn them into rental properties, but they're high quality rental properties, not the kind of stuff you see on TV and movies or the place you don't want to have next door to you. They take the extra care to make sure it's done right. They screen their tenant. They do all these things. It's just a fantastic local company. I highly suggest anyone who's in a situation like this or knows someone who's in a situation like this to go to their website, ibuydesoto.com. It has all this information. It's a very user-friendly website. It has contact links. I tell you, it is one of the easiest processes to deal with somebody who's local, professional, and will help you out in this situation. Typically, we would like to let you know about everything that happened at the previous Alderman meeting, but unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of mic-worthy news to let you know about. But we are expecting a little bit coming out in the next one in two weeks because they happen on the first and third Tuesday of every month. Guys, the last thing we're going to talk about here is is that we want to say a special thanks to all of our sponsors. We really, really appreciate all of them. I want to remind you all that they are all local. They all want to build the community, and they all stepped up to help us to make sure this podcast was provided. Please take the time to look at our show notes. If you are interested in any of their services or their opportunities they provide, I really, really strongly encourage that. It's very, very important to help support who supports us so we can support the community. 
If you aren't already listening to UTW under the Water Tower podcast, please make sure you check them out twice a week because they are putting out fantastic information that everybody needs to know about in the Hernando area and some of it here. Lastly, we're excited to tell you that next week we have several more candidates to join us for interviews, including Michael Chandler, who is fighting for Ward 1 Alderman, as well as Ken Adams, who's running in the mayor's race. And last, we're going to have Bob revisit, and he's going to give us an update on Mayor Phillips. So make sure you're tuning into that next week. Also, check in with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter at OBPod, or you can even email us at theobpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please make sure you give us a five-star review and a subscribe whatever your podcast provider but guys until next time i'm zach i'm cash we'll see you next week